0: Good morning, greater all. How's everybody doing today? Fantastic. That's what I like to hear. So, uh, we have been speaking for the last three weeks about the Gospel. Specifically, we've been looking at where we started in Colossians chapter 1 where our theme of Fill Me came from for, for this year. and And we want to be offer the challenge to live like a Colossian. And the way the Colossians lived their life, uh, the, at least the believers in Jesus there in Colossae, they based their life on a foundation, and that was the true message of the Gospel. It talks about that in verses 3-8 through eight of chapter 1 in Colossians. And so we decided we wanted to take the first six weeks of this year to re-examine and to present the Gospel in, in completion. Um, we have. I acknowledged the first week of this when I talked about the significance of the Gospel. Uh, we looked in Galatians and at Colossians where there were different Gospels that were out there even in the first century. The early Christians in Galatia, it says, were quickly led away to a different Gospel. And the church at Colossae was warned about following that same path. And there are indeed different Gospels in the world today. There are different stories of good news about Jesus, and they may seem to have the same theme to them, but there are minor differences. And so in week one, we talked about the significance of this and how we have to pay attention to it. We talked about what the bad news was. And by bad news, we mean what was lost when sin entered the world, that God had one intention for how the world was to be. And when sin entered it, there were things that were lost. And that was the bad news. We look at that because it gives us an understanding of our world around us. When we realize the difficulty of life, that was a consequence of sin. Even the difficulty in the marriage relationship was a consequence of sin, as well as a loss of relationship with God. And then when Jesus came on the scene, He says there's going to be a renewal of all things. And Peter talked about there being a restoration of all things. And so we wanted to know what the bad news is so we know what God is interested in restoring. And so that's what we looked about. Last week we talked about that Jesus is Messiah. From the time that sin entered the world and the bad news came into the world, God started telling His people prophecies of what was going to happen. He started that right away in Genesis chapter 3 when He told Eve that her seed was going to crush the head of the serpent. I guess he told that to the serpent, actually. Um, and it go, it follows on through. The Bible, I believe, is one complete storyline. and It was of what God's doing what He said He's going to do. And what, one of the things that He said very plainly in the Old Testament is He's going to become a king, a Messiah, an anointed one. And Jesus was indeed Him. And there were other prophecies along with that. And we talked about how, last week how we under, how we understand these, how we should look at them. And we, we talked about the importance of them. Peter in one of his letters uh, to the early Christians said that we have the words of the prophet made more certain and that we would do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place. You see, a lot of times when we look at prophecies in the Bible, we go, what's that got to do with me? I don't really care about what's going to happen. I want to know how I'm supposed to live now. And that sounds really good, except that Peter said we should pay attention to them. And there's a point to them. They are there. For... I don't believe there's any wasted words in the Bible. Okay? There's no filler. There's nothing in there that you should just say, well, we can p- not pay attention to that. And so the the prophecies are there. But one of the things we talked about last week is that the prophecies in the Bible, some of them have clearly taken place. Jesus was the Messiah. The Messiah did show up. He was crucified. He did suffer. He did raise from the dead. Those have clearly happened. And then there are other prophecies that have not taken place yet. Sometimes this is referred to as the now and the not yet. What has now happened, but what has yet to happen. And today, that's kind of what we want to talk about. The, the not yet is there for a reason. It's there to let us know some things, but at the same time, we have to focus on how we live today. I happen to believe there is a really strong connection between those two. They're not independent of each other, and I hope we can illustrate that up and look at that this morning. Um, If you look in your notes in Colossians chapter 1, this is what it has to say, and I believe this illustrates what we're talking about here. It says, "...for God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him." He's talking about Jesus. "...and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross." Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. What does He say there? He says God has reconciled you. The now. God has restored your relationship with God. Okay, if you've accepted... Jesus' offer of peace is what we're going to talk about in a minute. Your relationship with God's been restored. That's not completely like it was with Adam because God's not here walking with us like this. But there is a now part because the Bible says we can come boldly into His presence, confident of His glad welcome. He also says in here, guys, that He's going to restore all things, He's going to reconcile all things. Clearly that has not been done yet. There's a now and a not yet. I'm going to read two other passages here real quick that kind of, that that, that say this in plain words. The first one is in 1 John chapter 3 and verses 2 and 3. This isn't in your notes. It's not on the screen. You need to look it up on your Bibles or listen along. It says, Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. All who have this hope in Him purify themselves just as He is pure. And guys, that verse really gives you a guideline of the now and the not yet. He says what? Now we are children of God. But we don't know completely what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back. That hasn't been made known. I've heard one theologian refer to this as signposts pointing into the fog. What does that mean? Well, God gives us direction. Very clear direction. Those are signposts. But they point into the fog. What's that mean? He ain't told us everything. We can't see everything. We have to have faith in what He said and we trust Him. He does say, but we do know what? We're going to be like Him. We don't know exactly what it's going to be like, but we, are, we do know we will be like Him. That's exciting. And then it goes in verse 3, it finishes up, it says, All who have this hope purify themselves just as He is pure. You see, you have the now, I'm a child of God. You have the not yet, I'm not sure what that's going to mean, except that I'm going to be like Jesus. And this hope should cause a response from me. It should cause me to purify myself in the now. And I hope you can see that, guys, that there's the now and the not yet. And they are connected. You don't just focus on the now and don't pay any attention to the not yet because that would be ignoring the hope that God has given us. And then in this verse, in this passage, He's saying motivates us. This hope... In Him, all that who have this hope purify themselves. They have a response to this hope. So we need to understand what that hope is. See guys, this is what Paul's talking about in Colossians 2. This passage is in your notes. He says, "...your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through your faith." in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. You see, guys, he's very clearly talking about the now. They know about the hope. That's mentioned in chapter 1 of Colossians. And he's reminding them that you have already been been raised with Christ. And literally, guys, what he's saying and what we're trying to unpack here today is that there's a, a new life that is promised. We don't know what that's going to be like in its entirety, but Paul is telling the Colossians, "You can begin living that new life right now." And you see, guys, that's exciting because I believe most people who come, who look for religion, or who come come to Christianity, or or uh, come, start coming to church, they want a new life. They want some. There's something in their life that they want different. And I think when you get down to the nitty-gritty, most of us want something different. Now, normally, we want different circumstances. We don't necessarily want us to be different. We just know things aren't right, and we're trying to discover this. And you see, guys, when it comes to the Gospel, the Gospel offers me new life. If you're trying to share the Gospel with somebody and you're not telling them about this new life that's available, you're not sharing the Gospel. You're missing out. And so what we want to talk about today is how do I experience this new life now? There's a whole lot more promised that we don't know everything about, but what do we know for now? How do I experience it right now? Well, number one is I accept Jesus' offer of life. in Acts chapter 2 you find the first presentation of the gospel and uh, down in verses 30 in verse 36 the people it says are cut to the heart and they asked Peter and the other apostles what shall we do and here in Acts in verses 37 and 38 this is his response it said when the people heard this they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles brothers what shall we do peter replied repent and be baptized Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Guys, I selected that passage to look at simply because it is the first offering and because it makes very clear that when you accept Jesus' offer of life, you receive His Holy Spirit. And that is significant to living this new life. We looked at Romans 8 last week, and it just flat says in Romans 8, it says that if you're not living according to the Spirit, you're not a child of God. And so there's a clear connection to this new life and the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus died to reconcile me or restore my relationship with God and to give me a new life. This other passage that I guess I skipped up above in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Now again, I know that's not in completion. First Corinthians 15 tells me that when Jesus comes back and I am resurrected from the dead, I get a new body. This ain't it. Okay? This is not it. But He's still telling me, what? There's a new creation. There's a new life. It has begun. And I have to accept this offer before before I can move forward. See, and you have to accept it. If you don't see the need for a new life, you won't accept it. If you think, hey, everything's fine the way it is, you won't you won't accept it. And guys, I just want to again as we're going on, I want to define what's this new life. The Bible says this new life is a transformed life. It is different. And guys, if you if transformation is not taking place in your life, then you accept a Jesus offer and either you're ignoring it or you're putting it on a shelf. You're only concerned with being saved or going to heaven. But His offer is more than just that. His offer is for new life. And you have to accept that. Guys, want to a crowd this size? I'm sure there's some in this room that have not accepted that yet. You may or may not have heard of this offer. You may or may not understand the Gospel. But you haven't accepted it yet. There's others of us in this room who accepted it initially, but we've kind of put it on a shelf. We've not really taken advantage of it. You see, I believe when Jesus said that we've got to deny ourselves daily. This is part of what it means. It means you've got to accept His offer of life every day. You've got to try to live this new life every day. And you, you can see very clearly if you're accepting this offer or not by if you are living a different life if you are being transformed, if people can look at you and say there is something different about that person. Second thing, guys, that we need to look at if we're going to experience this new life, not only do I accept Jesus' offer of new life, I exercise the power available to me. I am of the opinion that a great number of people that have accepted Jesus offer of new life do not exercise the power available to it i say that because of what is written in second timothy chapter 3 the first 5 verses and specifically verse 5 where it talks about people in the last days and in verse 5 it says they have a form of godliness but deny its power He's talking about believers in Jesus who claim to follow Jesus but aren't living a new life. Aren't experiencing the new life. And that these people are denying the power that's available to them. And I, guys, I've confessed this before. I've lived the majority of my life following Jesus and living that way. Not exercising the power available. Not realizing the power that's available and at times denying the power that's available to me. You want to experience new life. You want to experience life as God intended or have a taste of life as God intended. You've got to exercise the power that's available to you. I believe with all my heart that that power is specifically the Holy Spirit in our lives. If you look at these passages here, the first one's in Ephesians chapter 1, It says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you. There's that hope again. He wants you to know it. The riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people and His incomparably great power for us who believed. That power is the same as the mighty strength He exerted when He raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms. Guys, this just blows me away. The first time I really started focusing in on this, it just blew me away that the power is available to me that raised Jesus from the dead. That's a lot of power. How powerful do you feel? As you go through your day, as you go through your week. You see, guys, I believe that, mo- as I said earlier, I believe most of us are not exercising that power, and that shows up when you go through your day and your week, and you feel weak. Guys, this is incredible. There's power that's available, and we need to exercise it. In Hebrews chapter 6, this is what it says. It says it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. Guys, he says, tasted the goodness of the Word and the powers of the coming age. Now that sounds exciting, doesn't it? He says there's a new age coming. A new time is coming, specifically, I believe, when Jesus comes back and there is power that's going to come and we can taste it now. doesn't say we have it in completion. Back to the now and the not yet. But you can taste it now. And these people in this story that he's talking about, when he's saying it's impossible for these people to be brought back to repentance, they've turned away from it. They've tasted it and they turned away from it. You see, they said, I don't want any more of it. I don't want to understand why. But guys, to me it's exciting to, to, to look at this. There's three passages here uh, that I want to re- make reference to. You may want to jot them down and look at them later on your own. 2 Corinthians one twenty-two. 2 Corinthians 5.5 and Ephesians 1.14. You see guys, all three of these passages describe the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. You see guys, I believe with all my heart the Holy Spirit gives us this power. And that's what I'm going to be talking about next week Specifically in our lesson is, is the Holy Spirit and this gift of the Holy Spirit that you get. That's why it is part of the good news. Because I believe it is, it's a deposit, it says it, it's a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. And I believe that that's the power that's in the coming age. That we just get a taste of right now, just a deposit of it. And you see guys, you want to know, we did a whole lesson series last summer on the Holy Spirit. And Tim has already brought up, we need to do more on the Holy Spirit. We need to examine it. And I'll be talking about it some next week. But you need to know that if you're not using the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you're not experiencing new life. You're not. And you want to know how you're experiencing new life? Is your life being transformed? That's what new life is. Are you different today than you were a year ago? Or a week ago? Or yesterday? Is there a transformation taking place? Does the Holy Spirit guide you and give you the strength and the power to resist things that you would not resist before? Guys, it is amazing to me when I look at what the Holy Spirit can do. I've shared with you rather openly about, you know, as a young man, lust was such a captivating thing. And as I got older, and as, honestly, when I learned to live by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm able to look at lust and go, eh. Now, don't get me wrong. I wish the temptation would go away entirely. There is something in me that, that, that desires that. That's what James says. That That's what temptation is. It's brought about by my. I'm where I'm led away by my own selfish desires, but I'm able to literally look at my own selfish desires and go, "No, I don't want that. I'm not going to do that." And I've learned. If you ever see me, catch me in a moment when you know nobody's watching, you'll see me just smile and maybe even kind of shake my head, and it's like I'm having a conversation with myself. I am laughing at the temptation that doesn't hold any power over me anymore. And it's not always lust. Let me, let me clue you then, okay? I don't want you wondering what's going on up here. It goes, up, it goes on sometimes up here. When I'm, when I'm trying to speak to you, trying to communicate, and I'm distracted by a fear, or by a concern, or by a thought that has nothing to do with this, and I'm able to push it away. And guys, that's the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I can exercise that. And I can become a new person. Third thing I need to do if I'm going to experience this new life is I need to connect with others living this new life. I need to connect with others living this new life. I was talking with Dave Bateman just before I got up here, I guess, actually. And during the meet and greet time. And Dave is excited his son Carson has chosen to run track. Okay, now why is he so excited? His son Carson is naturally fast. Alright? And Dave has wanted him to run track because he's naturally fast for several years now. And Dave said, I'm not going to get this right, Dave. He's tried using logic with him. He said, you know, you, are na- you have a natural gift here that God wants you to use. And Carson said, nah. He's tried encouraging him. And Carson said, no. He's begged him and he's bribed him. He said, I don't know how long ago it was, he took him for new shoes. And generally he says they spend about $100 on new shoes. He says, look, if you will run track, I will buy you whatever shoes you want, up to $250. And Carson said... (laughs) And Carson said, nah. Last, within the last two weeks, he came home and he says, Dad, I need you to go on the, the middle school website and I need you to sign me up for track. And he's like, what, what changed? What changed? He goes, oh, some of my friends are doing it. <laughs> What's her name? And I don't think he included gender in that. But guys, what is my point? What is my point? we hang out with those who are doing the same thing. The people we hang out with influence us. And when you look at the early Christians, those who first made a choice to accept Jesus' offer of new life, the first thing the Bible records that they are doing is getting together. Look at this in Acts chapter 2. It said all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see, folks, what you see there is all the people who have accepted Jesus' offer to live this new life are getting together every day. If you go back to verse 42, which I didn't include in this, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. You see, guys, they were trying to live a different life. What's this? Nobody had any need. There was no financial needs among them because of the way they lived. Because they were living a new life, and they were no longer concerned just with themselves, but they were concerned with others as well. And this is who they put themselves around. There's two other passages. Hebrews chapter 3, 12 and 13, and Hebrews 10, 23 and 24, are passages that encourage you to be connected with other believers. And both of them speak of having a connection on a daily basis. They say it's for encouragement and to make sure that no one develops a sinful, unbelieving heart. And it says that we should consider how to provoke, is one of those translations, one another on towards love and good deeds. We need to consider how to encourage one another on towards love and good deeds. Jesus intends for us to live this new life connected with other people who are living this new life as well. And if you begin this new life and try to do it yourself, you're going to fail. I mean, that's just part of the territory. We have to stay connected. And let me just ask you guys, how what's your connections look like? I mean, do you, are you connected with other believers on a daily basis, the way it's talking about? I mean, we live in a wonderful time, honestly, where connection is... We have so many ways to be connected, even though we're not physically together. Whether it's phone, texting, Facebook, you name it, we can have connections. We can do a whole lesson on how to be connected. But guys, the question is, are you connected? And then the second one is, what are your what's your connection look like? What do you mean, Gary? What does your connection look like? Well, do you know you can be connected with somebody and never talk about this new life we're talking about? We can, you can be connected with somebody and never discuss how it's going, what you're struggling with, or know what they're struggling with. How, how do you know? I can, t- I can tell you right now. There's, there's an individual that I'm connected with. I don't talk to him daily. But this, this, my relationship with this person is personally convicting on this point. Because when I talk to this person, I have about three topics that I want to talk about and they're not about living the life. One of them is about science fiction shows. We both like science fiction shows and thanks to Netflix, we're able to binge and, and keep up with those and talk about those. Another one is, is my car wash. or the personal interest that they have. And, and at least he acts like he enjoys hearing the stories. And I forget what the third one is. But I, I work very hard to say, I don't want my relationship with this individual to be about that. Yet that's the stuff I'm drawn to. And I'm sure you experience the same thing, where you get together and all you talk about is work, or all you talk about is sports, Or all you talk about is whatever problem you're dealing with at the time. But there's never any connection to exercising the power that's available. And guys, that's the challenge. If we're going to experience the new life, we've got to connect with others who are living this new life as well. The fourth thing, if we're going to experience the new life, is I need to share this opportunity with others. In 2 Corinthians 5, we read verse 17, but we'll read more of it now. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ not counting men's sins against them, and He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. You see, guys, part of this new life is that God's given us the mission to share this offer of new life with others. That's what they call this ministry of reconciliation. God is making His plea through us. Tim and I were having lunch the other day. And I don't remember, he was spanking something along these lines. And we were both in complete agreement. I believe the way he put it was, do you know why people don't share the good news? Because they haven't experienced the good news. You see guys, if you, not, if you haven't accepted Jesus' offer of life, of new life, you're not going to share it. And if you do decide to share it, you're not going to be able to really give a good testimony about it. You can't testify about it because why? You don't know about it. It's like telling somebody, hey, I heard that food's really good. Well, he told me. I think you'd like it. Why? Because he likes it. You see, guys, I won't share this new life if I'm not living this new life. And for those of you at Greater Alton that have been around for for a while and can remember the old days, we believe that we're to be sharing our faith, don't we? And we also, when we look around, realize we don't share our faith the way we used to. Now we can debate that, but I can tell you, I I believe, and this is what Tim was saying, we don't share it because we don't experience it. We don't share it because we're not living it. If it's not good news to me, I'm not going to tell you about it. And so guys, as we're closing out here today, I'm just going to ask you where you're at. How eager are you to share the good news with others? And if you go, well, I don't even think about it, I I think you should ask yourself the question, am I living it? Am I exercising the power that Jesus gave? What do my connections look like with other people? You see, guys, if we're going to become a church that truly shares the Gospel, we have to be a church that lives the Gospel and that understands what new life is all about. Let's pray and we'll be done. Father, You have given us an incredible gift. Father, life is so much better knowing that I can live with the powers of the age to come through Your Holy Spirit. And Father, I can change and I can be different. I don't have to stay the way I am. My marriage can change. My job can change. My happiness, my level of happiness can change. And Father, I just want to pray right now You can touch our hearts as we look at this. Father, especially those at Greater Alton that have been around. Father, it's just so easy to get in the habit of just going through the motions. Coming to church, coming to small group, maybe even reading your Bible and praying, but there never really being a transformation taking place. We just kind of put it on cruise control and think we've arrived, or at least act like we've arrived. Father, I want to pray right now. You can you can touch our hearts to change and to live the gospel as you intend for it to be lived. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.